a while, last decade, uh, my brother and his family uh, lived in Australia. And uh, one of the occasions that they had made the trip home to spend some time uh, here in the States and to see family, uh, my mom uh, called a, a family meeting. And so my brother and I and my mom and our wives, we kind of gathered around the, the table. And I didn't know what my mom was going to do. And, uh, but anyway, she, she gets out her will. <laughs> and she says, you know, we've talked about this and I want to, you know, I want to go over this and I want to make sure everybody's on the same page should something happen, you know, if, if Kyle's back in Australia and whatever, okay, well, I guess this is what we're doing this afternoon, and uh, I hadn't planned on this, but this is what she did, and so we kind of walked through it, and it starts off, you know, and it says, uh, should, you know, should mom die, that everything is, is split between the two, the two sons, and she got to that part, and I interrupted her, and I said, mom, so that's not what we talked about. <laughs> and my brother, he, he just kind of looks at me like, you're really going to joke about this right now? Uh, I don't know how you are with your family. We all had a good laugh about it. Uh, maybe you shouldn't joke about those things in your family, but we got away with it. It was okay. Uh, just kind of know your strengths and weaknesses and don't push the boundaries. Uh, I wanted to start a little bit lighthearted today. We are going to get a little bit heavy, but the issue is, is family. And the issue, uh, as has been the entire arc of this story from Genesis 12 until now, which is that uh, Abraham uh, had, to, had to leave his family. Uh, this is what God called uh, Abraham to do. And so I just I put Genesis 12.1 up here as a reminder that the entire story begins uh, with this line. We don't know much uh, about Abram up to this point, a little bit about his father, uh, a little bit about what's going on, but uh, God uh, starts all of the action by saying, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So it's not just the land, it is also uh, who he was who he was leaving. And so today in Genesis 21, we're uh, nearing, uh, we're a lot farther to the end of Abraham's life in the story than, than we were at the beginning of how this picked up. And the lessons here are palpable. But the issue is the same. They're still part of the family uh, that, that are leaving uh, here in our story today. And uh, as Elise said, uh, this is a time of year when Christians uh, recognize the sanctity of human life. So uh, I, I promise I did not structure uh, our messages or our Genesis series uh, to last week focus on the birth of Isaac or this week to focus on the treatment of Hagar and Ishmael. Uh, but that's the way that God had our progression. And I believe that uh, that is uh, very, very helpful to us. And I praise Him for lining this up in the way that He has. Alright, so we're going to call this today, When Faith Confronts. If we want to walk by faith, which is how God wants us to relate to Him, it will confront areas of our lives and it will show and reveal our weaknesses it will uh, it will stir up our past it will stir up uh, issues 
uh, that we feel we cannot control and it will challenge us to walk uh, by faith. And so faith uh, will confront us uh, in our life. If you have questions about what I mean by any of that, uh, stay tuned. We're going to get into some of these issues today. So faith uh, confronts, we'll start off by saying faith confronts our pride. And as we just start looking through the, the issue of what is going on at this part of the story, verse 8 says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. This is celebratory. Abraham made a great feast. And this is, this is a day uh, to, to mark. The child is uh, making a step in, in his development. Verse 9, but... Didn't take long for some tension to be inserted into the plot. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. And so she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Notice how Sarah addresses the parties involved. The only person she names is Isaac. She doesn't say Hagar. She doesn't say Ishmael. She says the name of her son, Isaac. And so we find out the very beginning of this story, and here's where our, our plot lines will, will go from today, is that Isaac and Ishmael could not live together. This is kind of in opposition to the notion that a life of perfect peace and harmony and happiness is totally possible all the time. No. Uh, you, you see this big feast. You see this celebration. But Ishmael is there. Uh, he is laughing, maybe uh, mocking his younger brother through Abraham. Uh, Sarah responds, I'm not having that. Get the slave woman, get her son out. Abraham responds, you can't read the story without tension. You can't read the story without uh, feeling or, or wondering about some of the questions that go along with this. Uh, who is Sarah? Who is she to kick these people out of her house now? What is, what is that about? And, and what's with Ishmael? Shouldn't he be happy for his younger brother? Shouldn't he, he be more content? Well, uh, What's the problem here? And why would, why would God, why would He act the way that He does? Why would He affirm Sarah's desires? Why would He encourage Abraham to send Ishmael and Hagar on, on their way, away from everything that they've known? Wow. You feel those questions. And so in the middle of all of this, we see that God is challenging Abraham's pride. I want to zoom out just a little bit before we get back into uh, that specific issue. But I want to show you how directly related 
to this incident and to Abraham's pride, the, uh, the pro-life uh, issues in this passage are, and, and really embedded throughout this story. So Sarah's character here, it shows her disdain for Hagar and Ishmael. It shows her willingness to say, I just want to get them out of my life. Now, let's remember that Sarah was the one that suggested her husband go and have a child with the slave woman, but now she's ready to be done with with them, both the slave woman and her child. From every angle in this story, what we see is that neither Sarah nor Abraham have any control over life. God was making a promise that would be fulfilled through Isaac. Way back in Genesis 16, we see Abraham and Sarah try to make that happen, of course, on their own. Uh, Their names were Abram and Sarai at that point. They thought that they could bring the life about... Because God wasn't doing it right. They thought they had control over how God was going to work with life because they didn't think God's approach was correct. And so they took matters into their own hands. And so she ends up then despising the servant that brought the life about. But God promises to do things in Ishmael's life as we saw in chapter 16, and as we see worked out toward the end of our passage today. Last week, in the first part of this passage, we see who is in charge of life. The very first verse of 21, if you still have your Bibles open, or you're still on your screen, look at that. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Now part of Abraham and Sarah's initial reaction to hearing that Isaac would be born to them was their age. We're, we're worthless. God, you can't be serious. Right? Sarah's first reaction is that she laughs. She doesn't think it's possible that God could possibly keep this promise. And so even in her own eyes, she's determined that she's not worthy to have this promise fulfilled in her. And so in so many different ways, they're trying to take control of the life. To try to take control of God's promises. They're trying to figure it out on their own instead of trusting God. And so even here in our story today, we're back to how God is challenging Abraham. Verse 12. Now, or 11, let's start there. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Why would that be? He had a relationship with Ishmael. He's 16 years old by this point. Probably taught him a lot. They probably worked together. And even if he had only been with Hagar that one time, certainly there was still at least probably some respect toward these two. Abraham and Sarah weren't on the same page. And so Abraham is displeased at the thought of casting out Hagar and Ishmael from their family and from their presence. But God, in verse 12, confronts 
that, that pride, he probably wants to hang on to all this. He probably thinks, hey, we can make this work. We can figure out a way. And God confronts that and says, no, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He's challenged directly by God. Not unreasonable that Abraham would feel this way. Lay down the foundation now. Faith. The child of faith. The child of promise. Isaac. That truth confronts Abraham as the child born in the flesh. Mocks in this story. And God brings it to a head. This is what faith does It reveals the limits of our own influence. It reveals the limits of our own ability to be in control. And so uh, what I want us to see in this about life is that faith, faith in, in God as a creator, knowing life from, com- from conception through out ages and to death, faith in who He is and what His plans are will successfully confront our desire to control life. If we see God as in charge of life, as we see clearly in this passage and throughout this story, We see how he values life in the womb. We see how he challenges age structures. We see all of these things. We even see how God can work in this story today when people are treated in ways that we make us scratch our head. Hagar is on the page here as uh, the slave woman. Now, in our country's history, uh, we had a, a long, uh, sordid uh, practice of legalized enslavement of other human beings. We're not the only country uh, who has done this in a formal way, and certainly even to this day, uh, slavery goes on. The, the goal, uh, and this, I'm glad this passage speaks to this, is never to treat another human being a different way. We can't be pro-life in the womb and say all lives that are developing in the womb are equal and then be okay with social structures that treat people differently based on their geography or their skin color or whatever it happens to be. We need to be consistent about our view of life. And I'm glad that those things are on the page. It made me uh, think a little bit. I encourage you if you're a, a student and you're curious to look up John Newton. Maybe you don't know his name. But his journey is, is compelling. Changed from being involved directly into slave trade to a heart that saw that grace was needed for all human beings. There's challenges here to our pride and what we think we can control. And so faith uh, will do that. Faith will confront our past. If you get just a little bit anxious today, 
when you read that, or when you see that little heading in the bulletin that faith confronts the past, and you say, you know what, uh, Pastor, I'd, I'd rather not confront my past today. Well, I want to encourage you. It can be a really good thing to confront your past. I hope you see this. This is a safe place to confront your past. And I want to see, want you to see today, all of us, how, how God challenges us to, to think about our past. Now, as you, as you think about it, what are ways that we, especially if we're not pleased with things in our past, how do we sometimes approach it? Well, sometimes we approach it by trying to control it. We'll, we'll spin the narrative to make it just not quite sound, uh, perhaps as bad as it is, especially if it's our own actions. Right? If, if it's our own actions uh, that have caused difficult things or hurt in somebody's life, we'll kind of spin that narrative around and it, all of a sudden it won't sound to us quite as bad as it is. But then on the other side, if it's somebody else uh, who has hurt us, uh, oftentimes the narrative changes to perhaps be even, even worse than it actually was. We want to control our past. And so if we are encountering Abraham getting a direct challenge from God, being confronted by faith, then we see this. Abraham knew the blessing Isaac had been. He still loved Ishmael, but the two couldn't coexist. And so the issue here has at least something to do with Abraham seeking some measure of control or influence over past sins and hurt that he and Sarah caused. I am not going to try to sugarcoat what Abraham and Sarah did. Now, we don't want to be irresponsible and not understand the culture of what goes on in the Bible. But if you think about that issue of, hey, we have a slave woman and you should just use her to have a child because this isn't working out on our timetable. It's criminal. And it's deplorable. And it's not, it's not good in any way, shape, or form. But it happened. And, and we may all be able to relate to, to such things that either we have done and created and stirred up a, a, a dust storm uh, of hurt and confusion in, in our own lives or other people's lives or we may have received this uh, type of thing in, in our life and it, and it creates this confusion and so how we relate to the things in our past are really important we can read through you can read through the whole book of Genesis and you could see characters who are trying to manipulate other people manipulate situations. Abraham and Sarah aren't the only two people in Genesis who try to manipulate situations. It's actually a pretty constant characteristic of people throughout this book. And, and one of the main things that they try to do is they try to manipulate everything, and then when it goes poorly, they try to control it. And so pride will secretly or outwardly attempt to control the past in some way, shape, or form. If you know a little bit about Genesis, your mind is probably swirling. Isaac himself, later on in his life, deceived by his cunning son. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers. Jacob, 
lied to by the Bible. All these people stirring and, and contriving these stories and then trying to control it. So whether we've been actively involved in causing the hurt or whether the hurt has, has found us, we, we don't want to think about working through it because, <clears throat> because it, it, it's hard work. We'd rather just control the narrative. And we would affix some label to person uh, on a person and we'd seal off in our minds any chance that that person could be productive or grow from what they did or, or get God's forgiveness. And we would rather just uh, them have that label. And you know what? Uh, we can also go on and continue and we can hold a grudge because that's something that we can control. Control is one of the fruits of pride. God is challenging Abraham in this story to let go of the control. He made quick work. God confronted him. Verse 14, Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water. He didn't didn't wait. He knew what he needed to do and so he got up and he made a provision and here is enough to get you from one place to another. Now, Abraham is a genuine, uh, generous guy. We can see that at a couple of different spots uh, in, in Genesis. But here, he's got a realization that he needs to, to send Ishmael and his mom, Hagar, to a place where they can be helped by another group of people, and he gives them enough to do that. Well, they, they must have lost their way, And Ishmael must have become very weakened uh, in this and near the point of death. And his mom goes away, away from him and says, I don't even want to look on this. And so she sat opposite him and she lifted up her voice and wept. This is a difficult thing that Abraham did. Maybe even a difficult thing right here with Hagar to realize Ishmael is, is near death and so uh, she doesn't even want to be a part of that. Uh, I want to end today with a couple of lessons about interpretation. Last week I said, I talked about how these are narratives. These aren't letters uh, which are written with more direct intentions. This part of God's word throughout Genesis, Exodus, uh, some of this history that's in the beginning of the Bible, are narratives. And they involve characters and plots and stories and events that, like any other story, have build up and points of resolution. And we find ourselves in any given week opening up a, a, a preaching series about a narrative. We, we find ourselves in the middle of one of those plot lines and plot structures. And so we don't want to overdo it. We don't want to overinterpret every single event that happens in a story. Uh, we want to be able to glean some of the main themes that come out of it and see what God is communicating. Well, one of the ways I would encourage you to consider understanding the Bible is to look for other places in the Bible where it talks about those people. It can shed light uh, backward into some of those stories. Well, in, in this case, we have a, a very clear illustration that the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Galatians to help 
the Galatians understand the difference between faith and works. Every week in our bulletin, uh, you will see a little half sheet. And on the front are your sermon notes. I hope you're using that right now. Uh, On the back are passages that you can read this week. I don't have a big jar of passages in my office that I just kind of pull them out and decide what to put on here. I really try, when I do these, to give you some things that will connect up with the message that has just been preached if you want to go and, and do a little bit more research. And so one of the passages I would really encourage you to go through is I have through Monday through Friday a way to, to read through the entirety of Galatians chapter 4. And I would encourage you to do that along with Matthew 4 and to see uh, how powerful the Word of, of God is. But the whole struggle for the believers in in the book of Galatians is them trying to impress God with their own works and not trusting fully in Jesus in faith. It's actually one of the main themes of the whole entire Bible. Is we can't impress God with our works. This starts in the very beginning of the Bible. Some of the very first people we meet in the the story uh, try to impress God by doing it their own way. And it never works. It doesn't mean that a life of faith is easy. A life of faith can be difficult at times. It can require difficult decisions, but fruitful decisions. Let me see, I'll help you see some of this language. Uh, here we are in Galatians 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Oh, look! Here's Paul talking about exactly our passage and this part of the story with Abraham and Sarah. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. I'll clue you in. When the Bible in one part helps us interpret another part, it is rarely this clear. (laughs) This is so easy. We have to be thick in our school or asleep to miss this. It says, interpret this as an allegory. See what faith and works are in these two characters and bring it forward into our lives. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar is a picture of people trying to uh, work toward God. She is a product of Abraham and Sarah conniving to work toward God. And the child that resulted from that act, that horrific thing that happened, is all about works, and that stands in contrast to faith. Here's the rest. Uh, Toward the end, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Allegorically, The two characters represent that we cannot continue to walk in our flesh. We cannot continue to let our sins be present among us in a way that we're trying to control it. 
At some point, we have to trust in faith that God can do things. Abraham, and and some of us, if we're sympathetic to his character here, would see this where he just thinks he can do it. We likewise sometimes keep people around in our lives like we're the ones that are going to save them. We try so hard and we stay involved in the past like God isn't able to take care of some of these people or some of these situations. I'm not saying this today as somebody who's clean from this. I wonder about these things. Man, I've said some things. I've done some things. And, and at times I just want to go back and I want to, re, I want to redo it. And it's not the point God cries out to us and says, you can't rely on your works in, in moving forward. Now listen, I'm not against forgiveness. It's beautiful when it happens, especially in family conflict. I'm not against working through issues. A New Testament scripture, wise, we should pursue those things. And I'm certainly not saying, if you're in a bad spot, go ahead and forsake your family or even one of your children because you're inconvenienced that one's jealous of the other. I'm not saying those things because they appear here. The interpretation we get in Galatians says, do you have faith or do you trust in yourself? And as we bring that forward, I, I want to stop first and say this has everything to do with how we relate to God. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we need a Savior and we cannot earn that relationship with God. We cannot repair the damage done by our sin. Our, our sin is so horrific, so awful in God's sight that it requires blood sacrifice. And what God did is He sent His Son, Jesus, to pay that price for us. The only way we are found innocent in God's courtroom is not by pointing to the works that we have done by some defense attorney who is really slick and can point out all of our good qualities. Our only way to be found innocent in God's courtroom is to hide behind Jesus and what He has done. And say, Lord, shelter me from Your wrath because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We have to, in our hearts, go in and slay whatever is there that is trying to impress God. It won't work. It will never work. It is of the devil when we try to impress God on our own merit. Now, the challenge then for us as we move toward closing today is for us to think about our sins. Satan is really good at accusing and bringing them back up. We know perhaps that there's hurt in our lives that we've caused or that somebody else has caused. But do we really today really believe that God can open up a door in a situation or care for somebody that's been hurt or been involved in something better than we can. That's a challenge we have to ask ourselves walking away from a passage like this. Do we really believe that God can work a situation out and care for the people involved, even if that's us, on His timeline, in His ways, according to His purposes? There's no denying that the messy issue 
is faith versus works. And it is messy. However, it is black and white. And the consequences of blurring these things together can be devastating. On one side, we can trust God with our failures or with our hurt or with our past or our conflicts or whatever it happens to be, our sins and, their, and their, the result or consequences. We can walk in faith and say, Lord, help me to do whatever I can do to make those wrongs right. But release me of the burden of being in charge of how people respond. That's walking in faith. It's not trying to control everybody and to get them to respond so you feel better about it. That may take some time. That may not ever come about. That's real. And that's where God calls us to trust. Perhaps in your mind you've already figured out what walking in works looks like. I will encourage you that often we see big spikes in people's spiritual growth and sometimes in even entire families when somebody says, I refuse to continue that pattern of trying to manipulate, of trying to control. I'm just going to walk in faith. and I'm going to love these people as best I can and I'm going to ask God to take care of these circumstances. Powerful message. Faith will confront. It will confront us at our very salvation. Do I really trust that Jesus died for me? Do I really trust enough to hide behind him in God's courtroom? The word freedom is found throughout Galatians. It's in the beginning of Galatians 4. Did I mention to you that I encourage you to read Galatians 4 this week? I encourage you to do it. And even in the very first verse of Galatians 5, we see it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We find freedom when we start to walk in faith and trust God, not just with our relationship with Him, but with everything. Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, they all have the same amount of sin. One group of people is going to walk in faith and completely trust God and grow in that. And you're going to see differences in the way that God works, but we see God working in both. He's able to influence. He's able to help. He's able to keep His promises. Will we trust Him with that?